Hey there, welcome to The Deeper Podcast, a podcast that's all about how we can love the hell out of this world with a little bit more courage and joy in our step in those small actions that we can take that seem meaningful. My name is Reverend Sean, I'm one of your hosts, and today on the podcast we are in the second episode of our series called First Times, which is so needed because I feel like every day is a first time for me. (laughs) A little sidebar, one of my mentors as I was early in ministry and friend, the Reverend Ann Barker, she once started a sermon with the statement, my first time was in a car, which <laughs> I think is a brilliant opening line because everyone thinks, oh my goodness, this minister is going to start talking about how she had sex in a car for the first time. And then she went on to say, my first time seeing the Northern Lights I love that. Um, because I think a lot of times, there are certain first times, you know, like the first time we have sex that that are given a lot of cultural importance. And yet there are so many first times um, that are really meaningful. I know next week we have a guest. Aisha Hauser is going to be diving into the first times we try to do justice work. Justice work inside ourselves. I think Gretchen in a few weeks is going to talk about the first time we say certain words, which at first you're like, what do you mean? Say certain words. But no, it's the first time you say like, I love you or the first time you say I do or the first time you say I'm gay or queer or trans. These words have meaning. Anyways, I love this series. But one of the things that gets in the way of first time so often is fear, a fear of failing. What if you try something for the first time and you're going to fail? And the reality is that we're probably going to fail, especially if it's a first time, especially if we're trying to do something audacious, if we're trying to do something that we're not skilled at, trying to do something that is new to us. And that's part of the reframe that we need to get. So I'm offering a message today that's all about failure. And I think it's going to be a little countercultural message, a little counter than what you're expecting, Um, because I'll say the process of writing this was not a process of it being the first time, but a process of really struggling to figure out how to say what I wanted to say. And even then, I'm curious what you think. So without further ado, I think we should dive into the message. And once more, let go, let go, let go. This uh, sermon will fail. It's already failed. The expectations I have for it will go unfulfilled. The process of writing it was tedious, interruptions and diversions abundant. Some of them were my fault. Like, what if I got a really, really important email that I needed to respond to? 
so I should probably check, right? Some interruptions were not my fault. Like in the two-hour time slot that I had one of the days that was just filled with meetings otherwise, the two hours that I had set aside to actually write, I got a call from Walgreens. We're sorry to inform you that for a reason I can't tell you, we're closing the pharmacy where you're going to get your COVID vaccines this afternoon. And you should call this number to reschedule. Okay. So I did. Called that number. 47 minutes later, we had rescheduled all three of our appointments. And I got those comforting confirmation text messages. Three of them. One for each member of our family saying, Sean, we're so glad to have you for your vaccine. Charles, Aiden. And when I looked at it, something felt a little strange because every one of our names was spelled incorrectly. And when I clicked into each of the confirmations, I realized that all of our birthdays were also incorrect. And the email address that might have all of that information in one place was also misspelled. I realized if I showed up with the pharmacy with this level of misalignment, with identifications and insurance documents, well, that wouldn't be good. So, of course, I had another 30-minute conversation with Walgreens. Where was I? Oh, right, the failure sermon. No, the failure of this sermon. I mean, in its idealized version, this sermon would have sweeping rhetoric, nuanced yet somehow universally applicable theological insights for the assembled gathered gathering of known persons and newcomers all of whom have diverse beliefs and backgrounds, each of you, with a handcrafted reason for showing up today, and that somehow this message would comfort you, but also challenge you, provoke and expand your thinking, yet not offend or shut you down. While I was writing this, I even got a text from a colleague that I, of course, had to check, and the one-hour time block that I had that day to write, the text read, I feel like there is zero time to prepare sermons. And all I could think was, amen, amen, amen. Let alone the fact that I know someone will come up to me after a sermon because it happens almost every time I preach and say something along the lines of, I need to say thank you for saying X, launching me into an internal debate whether or not to tell them that I didn't say that. And that I didn't say anything remotely like that. Which begs the question, does it really matter what I say? Okay, it does, but also it doesn't. It's going to fail. It's going to fail to be what I wished, what I hoped, maybe what you needed, probably what you expected. Even to communicate what I want to communicate. There is something that never makes it across the gap, the gap from the brain to the page, from the page to speech, from speech to recognition. So many points of failure as my speech passes through the betweenness of space I have to release control over what happens next. And because of that, I honestly feel like most of my sermons fail. It's something I've mostly sort of gotten used to. Don't get me wrong. The point of this diatribe is not to have you feel sorry for me, for how hard it must be. Please don't. I don't like it. I'd actually rather you have contempt for me. The point is to let you in on a secret. And you may not believe it, but it's a liberating fact that fact that failure is good news. The antidote we need for a culture where everything is based on success and the fear of failure is permanent.
And you know who I blame? I blame the snake. You know the one? The slithering serpent? The one the Bible calls crafty. The one that convinced Eve to eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge. And suddenly we were all banished, exiled from paradise, cursed with enmity and a life of sweat and toil and pain. Like, come on, imagine if we hadn't been banished. There we would all be in the lush garden, untainted by climate change, just basking in pristine light, a divine symphony of noises around us, no rushing, nowhere to be, no one to disagree with, nothing to struggle against, our voices, instant harmonization, instant choirs, no rehearsal, just unfiltered, echoing joy. There wouldn't be understandings, misunderstandings, because we just get each other. Well, I don't know about the we, because it would probably be, and I don't know how exactly to put it this way, it'd be a rather inbred group. There's not a lot of diversity in paradise, but realistically, and realistically not knowing about good or evil, everything would sort of feel the same. I mean, it's hard to compare, right? But don't get me wrong, it would be good, right? The whole and God saw it would be good and all. But there would be no tension, no drama, no debate, no failure, no failure. This sermon wouldn't fail. It couldn't. How could it? We'd all just be following the diktats of our creator, success and goodness, all measured by comporting ourselves to divine will, a God who gave us free will, sort of. I mean, not enough freedom to be entrusted with the stakes or knowledge or partnership in defining the mold we're to fit into. No, those aren't up to us, but at least we couldn't fail. Like a kid on a two-wheeler bike, fixed with two training wheels. No need to learn to balance, just go, pedal, zoom. But now we all fail. We all fell. Failure is every day, ever present, everlasting, and everything fails, and we can fail in so many ways. And this story, the story of the fall, is so embedded in our cultural bodies that we often internalize it, even if we don't believe it. Believing in some inherent flaw, curse, a vestigial sin, exposed in our missteps and misdeeds and inabilities, something within us that is tainted by original sin, they call it. And so every failure perceived or projected becomes evidence of the credibility of a story that most of us take as just a story, a tale, a human attempt to make sense of a reality that includes both brokenness and love. And despite its status as legend, we can feel outcasted from Eden too, the ground swept up from under us, dropping, falling, failing. Failure is a word, a catch-all for a spectrum of experiences from I didn't succeed in the way I wanted to, to I screwed up and harmed someone and I don't know what to do. From the paralyzing fear of trying, the way fear prevents us from even trying, to sitting in the aftermath of a decision or a moment and seeing no way out. From feeling that we are a failure something core within us somehow fails the test of being human. All of these experiences of failure, shame, fear, hubris, humility, and accountability all tossed up together, all tangled up together. Failure hurts not only our egos, but sometimes the core parts of ourselves. It hurts other people that we impact or let down. Now it's time for an interlude. I'd like to share with you the three other sermons I could have preached on failure. 
Sermon one, failure as nurturing compost. In this sermon, I would contemplate failure as an unsung hero that serves as fertile compost within our lives. It emerges from the decay of our numerous mistakes, carrying an odor of regret, yet it is precisely this ground from which we cultivate our deepest growth and understanding. It's the foundation that enriches our soil of self, allowing for the blossoming of wisdom. That would have been a good sermon. Sermon two that I could have preached. Failure as the bearer of patient love. In this sermon, I would have said that failure invites us into a realm of enduring patient love, a love that extends to ourselves and others akin to the enduring affection of a parent to a child. I mean, a parent wouldn't not love a child as they failed to walk for the first time. So in this sermon, I would have said that we are all new here, like children taking our first steps, all babies, all trying things out for the first time, and we should give ourselves grace for that. That would have been good too. The third sermon that I didn't write, failure as impossible. In this sermon, I would have said that we should embrace the profound truth that failure in all its varied forms cannot strip us of our inherent worth and our innate belonging. That this is the message of universalism for our time, that you are loved, that you have a place. You might need to make it better. You might need to change. You might need to grow, but you always belong. So if one of those sermons is a sermon that you need to hear, this is the moment where you can start ignoring me and just pretend I'm preaching one of those sermons because I didn't write them, or I did partially, but I kept coming back to a difference. A sermon that sees failure as, and hear me out, as delicious. Time for some water. You know how candy that you sneak into a movie theater always tastes better? Or maybe like the fruit from that one tree that you were forbidden to taste. I bet that tasted amazing. Before the booming voice, maybe still, the lingering sweetness, not sickly, but fully full-bodied, carried on the tongue as you were banished as you ventured into the unknown. I guess what I'm saying was, I bet the fall was worth it. I don't think Eve regretted it despite being the literal poster child for failure for centuries, because in that moment of delicious rebellion, revelation, Eden is the bad place. And like other earth-shattering revelations that Soylent Green is people, that Vader is Luke's father, that when the kid says he sees dead people, he means it, that this is the Matrix, and that Nixon was a crook, it comes with a liberation that dislocates us with the ringing of truth that cannot be unheard. What if Eden, that seeming utopia of paradise lost, haunting us as we compare ourselves to it and judge ourselves against it? What if the metrics by which we judge success in life, by which we are deemed to fail and succeed, are flawed? Because the way I look at it, here are the primary metrics our society uses to judge success. Perfection. Independence. Efficiency, profitability, and material wealth. Healthiness, often a cover for thinness. 
conformity to social norms, nuclear family harmony, remembering. And I wonder, are those my values? Are they yours? Are they the values of beloved community? Are, or are they the, mark, the values of the market, of whiteness? I see so many parents struggling right now, especially with their young adult children, because as they emerge into adulthood, they are not as independent as they might want them to be. They struggle to launch their children successfully, and it seems like a moral failure because they are not independent beings. But we forget that we are not independent beings. Cultures around the world, it would be expected to stay in your family's home till you were married and maybe beyond that. Is independent success or a setup? Is failure to be independent actually success at being interdependent? Take perfection. When I look at the challenges of our day, the growing wealth gap, the climate crisis, addiction and loneliness epidemics, the cultural divides and racial reckoning, there is no way to get it right. There is no way to navigate these conversations, these debates, these challenges perfectly. And if we are worried most about failing, of offending someone, of doing something and having it turn out not to work or not have been the best thing, perfection will stifle any big courageous attempt to tackle any of these challenges. In fact, it will most likely be that as we try to address these big challenges, if we are truly trying, we will be accumulating more and more failures. And it will look like we are less and less perfect. And those failures should become like badges of honor for our attempts and the grit of staying in it for the long haul. We could play it safe, try to maintain a perfect grade, but miss out on tackling the challenges that actually matter and sinking our teeth into the sweet flesh of something real. We should fail at perfection if that means we succeed at radical acceptance. We should fail at independence if that means we succeed at interdependence. We should fail at efficiency if we, that means we succeed at sustainability and regeneration. We should fail at accumulating material wealth if that means we succeed at collective prosperity. We should fail at conformity if that means we find deep belonging. We should fail at remembering if that means we succeed at forgetting and discovering something anew. Queer theorist Jack Habelstam writes, in a world where success is counted in relationship to profit, how much money you have, or success is relayed through heteronormative marriage, failures are not a bad place to start a critique of both capitalism and heteronormativity. I mean, how many times have we thought we failed only to realize that we failed at conforming? What if we didn't demand conformity as the cost of belonging? How many times have we been told we failed only to realize that we failed at a mythical independence? What if we need help? What if needing help wasn't a failure? What would our community look like if we failed at efficiency that we were so inefficient that we were actually sustainable with this earth, with each other, with ourselves? As my colleague Julian Jamaica Soto writes, some people say the word wheelchair like it is the bones of an oily fish that they are trying not to swallow. I pronounce every letter because I want us both clear. I know how to spell freedom. Once you have failed, flunked out, you can take a breath. 
and look backwards and say, why did I want to succeed in that world anyways? The brand of failure is a better marker of integrity than anything else. Slight detour. As we continue to live through a moral panic about queer and trans people's existence, I have become fascinated by the rhetorical strategies used by all sides. One such argument used by progressives is to borrow the phrase from Lady Gaga, the born this way argument, that queerness and transness is an inherent trait and therefore is unchangeable, immutable, and thus something that we should merit acceptance. At first blush, this seems like a reasonable argument, but let's push past the blush and get to the foundation. Did you realize that was a makeup joke? Because by this logic, queer people are acceptable only because they are failed heterosexuals. And trans people are acceptable only because they are failed cisgenders. And that failure can only be acceptable allowed in public only when they had no control over their failure. Their failure can only be overlooked if they made no active choice to fail like this. You couldn't choose, so we tolerate. But you better act just like us, the non-failed ones, for you to be accepted mostly. It sees the failure as overcomable, mitigatable. They can make the conversion, if you will, if only you play by the new rules. By this, but this argument strikes out, misses the fact that failure is the point. That failure is glorious and juicy. For in failing, we are free. Freed from the inherent baggage of how to be, how to relate, how to love and pleasure. That failure by design or choice, genetic circumstances or determination, this failure that queer and trans people embody upends the desire in our societies for two bodies oppositely sexed to make babies and have mortgages and be monogamous. I don't want to overcome this failure. I want to lean in and disavow any allegiance to the rules of the world as it is. I want us to be so free, be seen as such failures that we start a riot to burn it all down because we can taste the freedom of the truth we already know that we'd throw the first brick at Stonewall and join hands on the Edmund Pettus Bridge and stand firm in Tiananmen and La Bastille and forge a future at Zuccotti Park and Seneca Falls, that we'd see the seeds of belovedness at Little Rock High and Ferguson. For when you have failed, flunked out, and no longer pledge allegiance to success, conformity, likability, you can remake the world in an image that is truly good, a world where jazz breaks all conventions and no one can think our world didn't need it. What if... The rejects and the outcasts, the divergent thinkers and the ones who seem to fail over and over again are who we should be paying attention to. Because that garden, that so-called paradise of Eden, is actually a closet, a place of hiding from truth, a place often defined by fear of trying to succeed at the path laid out before you without question, trying to please the forces that would keep you trapped, holding the shut the door. Success in this world is a prison where in inmates comport themselves into rigid forms that serve those with the power, the ones who make the rules and deem them good without question. Failure then is our best hope for liberation, our best guide and constant companion to true success. So let's take the fall together, sinking our teeth into the sweet and terrifying flesh of a fruit that will change everything. 
and thank God because just about everything needs to change. Amen. Did it, did it fail? I, 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 I mean, I asked that rhetorically, but also, I mean, that's the question we ask ourselves so often. Did it fail? If you're one of those people that lives with these questions of failure and also are wanting to find a way of recalibrating, of thinking about failure in a different way, I want to offer, in closing, these words that Gretchen adapted from the Reverend Robin Tanner. Blessed are those who make giant mistakes, whose intentions are good but impact has injured, who know the hot sense of regret and ask for mercy, for their hearts will know the gift of forgiveness. Blessed are those who have seen a D or an F or a C or any letter less than perfect, who are painfully familiar with the red pen and the labels as less than, for they know the wisdom in the imperfect. Blessed are those who try again, who dust off, who wash up, who extend the wish for peace, who return to sites of failure, who are dogged in their pursuit, for they will discover the secret to dreams. Blessed are those who refuse to listen to the naysayers, for their hearts will be houses of hope. Blessed are those who see beyond the surface of another, for they will be able to delight in the gift of compassion. Blessed are those who wildly, boldly abandon winning, for they shall know the path of justice and the joy of turning to one another for help, the gift of laughter, and the true meaning of friendship. Friends, may we be blessed in our failure. And until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>